Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Tennis and Vagals podcast. It is, I am Owen, your only main host today. But with me, I have Jack Edward from the On The Line podcast and, uh, and website. Uh, Jack, how are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Owen. Always happy to be here. I was asked by Vance and, you know, Vance has been on a million times now in my own podcast, so always happy to repay the favour and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, it's sort of fun how we have, like, the all the sort of, like, cross appearances going on, like, all our respective sites, like, Talking Tennis, Popcorn Tennis, uh, your blog, podcast. I feel like we're all appearing on each other's shows now, which is kind of fun. Yeah, it's a bit of a community, isn't it? I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's nice. Um <laughs> So we saw a pretty good tennis match uh, just now between Igor Sviantek and Barbara Krajikova. Um What were your general thoughts on it? Because there's a lot to unpack with it. It was a great match. <laughs> there's tons. I mean, there's like, you know, there's a, a, a million bits of history to go along with this match, right? Uh, from Sviantek's side, there's there's a head-to-head. I don't even know where to start, to be honest. I, yeah, obviously, everybody knows Sviantek's record, right? You know, in finals, last 10 finals, she's won. She's won them all in straight sets. She, you know, barely dropped games in those sets. It was yeah. just like unreal. Everybody knew it was going to have to be something special to even get close to Sviantek. And she was up 5-1 in the first set, and it looked as though yeah. it was going to be plain sailing basically so that was the the first thing that surprised me I guess but the fact that Krejcikova started to come back it wasn't too surprising I mean we'd seen it the last match they had in in Rome when Krejcikova had two match points I mean that was on clay so you know if you can get two match points against Svontek and clay you can you can trouble her anywhere and it wasn't too surprising when she started to make that comeback and it looked like it um yeah it it looked like it could have went either way from the 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 get-go I guess after it got to five all yeah, I mean, my first thought about this match was that, like, Krejcikova is back, right? Like, she was ranked yeah. number two earlier this year. Injury issues, had a tough first-round loss at Roland Garros where she was defending champion. But, like, you put up a performance like this against the world number one, and I don't think there's any doubt that she can get right back to where she was, possibly even exceed that. Because, I mean, the performance today, like, the the play under pressure, I think, playing and winning a three-hour match against Iga Sviantek, and... um and this is getting a little more specific now, but like the way she served in that last game was amazing to me because the pressure was so high, right? Because that third set, I don't think either player had a break point, and then suddenly Krejcikova broke broke it love. Um, and then, but then like the last game is going to get tight in a match like this, and fifteen all, she just starts raining down like unreturnable first serves. Um, it was amazing. It was like she didn't feel the pressure at all. Yeah, I have got two things to say in that first thing is the serve and I suppose that's getting a little bit more into the match up which I'll flesh out in a second but certainly for for Kachikova her favourite serve has got to be that slider in the the juice court and there's not many female players that hit that serve especially well I would say and and are able to sort of also put it down the tee Sam Sonova is one that comes to mind as well but there's not many other players really Kachikova maybe 
Asaka definitely, yeah, but the the fact that she wasn't able to hit that serve particularly well when she last played Iga kind of put me off saying her, I guess, um, because certainly Samsonova did, even though she lost that match to um, to Schwantek in Stuttgart. In this matchup, though, if you're able to hit that slider in the juice court, you take away Schwantek's ability to to attack the first serve right with her forehand, which is huge. I mean, that's why Schwantek's able to rattle through return games over and over again in these finals if you're able to do that you give yourself a fighting chance that's literally it like otherwise your service games just get destroyed basically every time so that that shot is incredibly important and her ability to stave off the forehand in general mid-rally was incredibly important though I think the serve for me was probably the most important one because in the third set she, she won 21 of 24 first serve points against Fontek. I, I mean I, I I'm considering going set by set for Schwantek's matches this year to find out if anybody's done anything better than that because I highly, highly doubt it. Yeah. I, I was going to say about the forehand in general, just before I forget to round off the matchup thoughts, she was able to defend that forehand corner so, so well. And it is something she, she can do generally. She's got really good feel. You know, when she's getting attacked, she can get herself back into the point with deep shots and stuff. But it was the the way she, she defended when she was looking like she was completely out the point she kept the ball low sometimes with these squash shots she was able to redirect it down the line sometimes the squash shots in particular for me so impressive though barely ever missed out of that corner and it, it, it resulted in Shontek like approaching the net sometimes when she would never ever do that ordinarily so I mean she must have really really been ruffled for, for that sort of play to happen yeah, do you remember the point at 5-1 in the second set tiebreak? Like, Krijikova pushed Sviantek wide on the forehand. Sviantek hits this, like, ballistic angle cross-court that Krijikova somehow scrapes over the net, and uh, and then Sviantek's approach shot, like, hit the top of the net and set up, and Krijikova wound up passing her. But that get-off-the-angle that Sviantek hit was ridiculous. Like, I don't think many players could have done that. I couldn't believe what I was seeing there. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, I think that was probably the, the two things that, that were most impressive for me in this match for, for from uh, Kritikova, definitely. Yeah, and um, on the point about the sliding serve out wide, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on this because I've started to think that if you could pick one serve to have, I feel like that's the best one. Because if you can hit the line with it, I mean, the, the thing about the sliding serve out wide on the deuce side is that it jumps away from the court, right? And so that does two things, which is like it forces the returner to stretch out when they're hitting it so you get less power. And even if they get the return back, they're all the way off the court. Um, And so I feel like if you can hit that serve well and you have the T-serve, you're going to get some aces off of it because the returner has to guess. And if you can hit it well, even if they know where it's going, I think the odds that they get a great return back are really, really low. Um, So I think that Mm -hmm. serve is going to do damage against anyone in the world. There's a, there's one serve I can think of that's better, but it's kind of cheating. Is the sliding serve in the ad court if you're a lefty? Because that if yes. you if you if that's you can the hit, backhand, yeah, 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 exactly. That's the backhand, and obviously it's uh, break points a lot of the time. Right. Is, is what you're saving rather than normal points. So that I take that over that one, but I agree on in, in principle, definitely that. And the one other thing I wanted to elaborate on: Kritikova's ability to deal with pressure. It's huge. I, I, I actually I'm gonna. I, I put so many thoughts on paper about this last year and I just need to read them over again because I can't remember exactly what I had. But it was something along the lines of Krachikova was statistically the best breakpoint saver of last year in 2021. I imagine it won't be far off this year. Her sort of unflappability on breakpoint, on match point, obviously she had six of them and eventually got it. And I mean, if that game had went, uh, you know, the, the way of... Schwantek against any other player, I would have said Schwantek's definitely taking it. But yeah, 
it could have been it could have went to Kuchikova anyway, even if Fontek had managed to break that game for sure, because Kuchikova just doesn't she deals with pressure differently from like every other player on tour. Maybe Fontek, obviously, but um, yeah, she's she's one of those sort of standouts for me. Yeah, I mean, in that last game, like a few match points went by, and then a break point came off. If you just hit a service winner, like it was nothing. Yeah, and it's like I think a lot of players there you expect a double fault or a really slow second serve. Um, uh, on that last game, I wanted to talk about a couple of the match points that Sviantek saved because I mean, she may have lost this match. I think she sort of got gassed in the third set, like seemed to fatigue a little bit. But that last stand, at returning at three five, was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. So like. Match point number two, she sort of like bosses a rally. Krejcikov uh, plays great defense, forehand uh, squash shots from that corner, like you said. And Fiontek hits like this weird curving forehand slice <laughs> for a winner right onto the baseline. It was a sick bit of improvisation. Um, and just to do that on match point was wild to me. Um, what do you think? It was. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've never seen Fiontek do that before. <laughs> But I suppose that was testament to the fact she was coming forward. There was another bizarre one, like uh, up to the tie break, maybe at like free all or something, where Shvontek comes in at fifteen thirty. I don't know if they won, you know the one I mean, but she ends up half volleying it, like for a clean winner. It oh, was geez, I missed that one. <laughs> bizarre, and it's just uh, it's nice to see Shvontek excelling in the forecourt as well because we, we won't see it often. I'll tell you that much. So yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was a nice streak, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think most people were most impressed with the fourth match point save, which we will get into. But for me, the best one was the third one. And on this one, and like you said, Krejcikova wins 21 of 24 uh, first serve points in this set, right? Yeah, So Krejcikova hits course. a perfect first serve down the middle. Sviantek throws herself at this thing and somehow gets back this inside-out forehand return with a ton of pace. And Krejcikova can barely even get it back, and then Sviantek puts away an easy forehand. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and w- when I say perfect serve, I mean like an inch away from both lines. Like yeah. she could not have hit this first serve better. That is an ace against a lot of players. Mm-hmm. It's a service winner against maybe everyone except Iga Sviantek, unless you just totally guess right. But but that good of a return off that good of a first serve, um, I. Yeah. Uh, like I said an expletive out loud when I saw yeah, that. So did I. So did I. I was literally blown away. I was like, well, what the hell did I just watch? Obviously, that, that went on to to be the catalyst for Shontek winning the match. That would have went down as one of the craziest match point saves of all time. But uh, yeah, it was just a nice match point save in the end, considering she lost. But yeah, yeah um, crazy stuff. Yeah, and, and I think after all that insanity, Shontek saving five match points and all, the fact that it ended with an ace, I think, was just perfect because there was no other way that it could have come to an end. Um, and I just love matches like yeah. that where one player just refuses to beat themselves to the extent that you have to hit the ball past them to win the match. Like, you have to hit a line. And that's what Krejcikova did. Um, and it was just amazing on both sides. Yeah, it's, it's seriously, seriously, Pete. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, one one stat I was talking about that might interest you on, on Twitter is that... St- Krejcikova now becomes the third player this year to win a title at home. Okay. In our in our home country, because um, it, it's tough, and we we saw Schwantek in Warsaw obviously succumb to pressure. We saw um, here, uh, sorry, no, this week even I should say Jabur in uh, Tunisia also succumbing to pressure a little bit. Both nervy performances. It, it's difficult to do, and Barty is the only player to have done it twice this year in Adelaide and in Melbourne, and uh, Buzkova did it. In, in Prague and now Chief is the third and it's it's testament to again her ability to deal with pressure and and play even better because of it. 
Yeah, and I think it makes it even more amazing that she sort of had that match point to break point swing and still got out of it. Because I feel like at home, that's even more terrifying when you see the finish line and then it sort of gets ripped away from you a little bit. I think it's so tough to just not completely implode in that situation. Um, and she just looks completely unfazed. Yeah, totally. The, the last thing I want to say on Krujikova is just her, how she plays, basically. Because I think I think maybe some people will watch Krujikova and not be 100% sure on why she's winning, I guess. Um, because she doesn't smack the ball. She doesn't really smack the ball off either side. Uh, and in fact, I, I would say she rarely sort of accelerates in the ball. A lot of the time it's the same pace and it's just finding the right part of the court. And it's such a good example for, for coaching, honestly, because it just shows you don't have to, to hit your way through the opponent necessarily. You just have to put the ball in the right place. She almost massages the ball into the open space a lot of the time. And a lot of that um, play, it makes it very surprising that she won her first slam at the French Open for me to be honest because it, it's the kind of play that is good for her courts and incidentally since winning that title she hasn't won another title and claimed she's won three on, on her courts so it's quite difficult to say she probably doesn't have a favourite surface for me because of because of the, the way she sort of massages the ball at the time and neither of her shots are particularly massive neither of her shots are particularly loaded or heavy she just yeah she's just able to find the, the space a lot of the time and she's got such good variety she's She's such a multi-surface, versatile player for me. Yeah, and I think she times the ball exceptionally well and uses the angles. Like, I think she is capable of hitting amazing angles on both sides. And um, and I agree with what you said, that like she doesn't really belt the ball, but that doesn't hurt her offensively. I think she had 44 winners this match um, yeah. against the best defender on four, probably. Um, yeah. Like, that that's fantastic. And, um, and on the matchup a little bit, I, I love this matchup because I think... I think both of them are essentially without like a technical weakness from the baseline. Like you're not going to beat either of them by like peppering one wing. Like it's not as simple as like their forehands or their backhands will break down. And so what they what they both kind of had to do was just like belt the ball or like open up the court with angles until enough open space like presents itself that you can hit a yeah. winner. And I love that because it's like you have to earn every single point. Like you'll get unforced errors here and there, but when they're both at their best you're just going to, they're going to create all these amazing patterns that don't really exist in normal tennis. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. It was quite a surreal match in a lot of ways. You don't see much like it, I'd say. You're quite right. It's a very original match for the tour and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, yeah, here, here's hoping we get another edition of the Rivalry soon. Um, and so to sort of like talk about the players a bit, like, what conclusions do you draw from this? Like, not really talking about, like, does this make you worried about Ego or anything? Like, I think, you know, first final loss since 2019, but, like, hell of a performance from Krejikova. Like, I don't think Sviantec has anything to worry about. But, like, like, do you think this shows that Krejikova could maybe be, like, a big rival to her going forwards? Do you think Krejikova can get back to number two and how quickly? Um, stuff like that. The, the, only, the only problem with... The everything I've just said about Kuchikova's game is because she doesn't possess a huge weapon, I guess. It's quite difficult to see her dominating the tour, you know, going hand in hand with Sean Tech and, you know, winning just as many titles and stuff like that. It's, it's very unlikely because you can have you can have players that will redline and, and be able to beat Kuchikova on their day sort of thing. You know, like she's playing very, very well, but I can't see the, the run continuing indefinitely, I would say. On. So I think it will come to an end at some point. I still think top 10. Definitely top 10 player, but uh, top top five is unlikely for me. 
Okay, got it. Um, I, I do think injuries could make it tough considering the luck she's had with them this year. Um, yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I think like if she can re reproduce performances like that, I I see her going back. To but the, the, she was the one thing I'll add to that actually is I, I should be listening to myself really because I've just been talking about how much of a pressure player she is. She does have that sort of mental factor that a lot of players, obviously at the moment in the top ten, are. Are not missing. I don't want to be harsh, but you know, what I mean, you know, like Zachary's sort of got those problems in the latter stages of tournaments. But yeah. Dosa at the moment is definitely feeling a little bit of a, a loss of form. Sabalenka, double faults, etc. Krejcikov is one of those players that could turn up at a slam and and win against seven players she should be winning against. So, yeah, yeah maybe could happen yeah. again. Uh, w- one of my favorite matches in the past couple of years was like the the Roland Garros semi between Krejcikova and Sakari, and um, yeah. and. and and that match, I don't think, was one that Sakari like chokes. Like, I think it, she did surf for it, and she did play a couple nervy points. But Krajikova hit some really, really crazy shots on big points. I think she ended up getting the break back by hitting moon balls that almost got over Sakari's head, yeah. and that yeah. opened up the, a lane for like a really sharp angle that like forced an error. Um, and the third set of that match was just amazing. There was a match point in there as well. I'm pretty sure. Yes, yeah, saved with a winner. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, it was. I think. I think it was. A, I'm pretty sure it was a drive volley backhand from Kuchikua. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. And yeah, that that speaks to the pressure player you were talking about as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'll take it back. She. I still. I don't think she'll be winning tons of t- titles, but she could win the right titles, and that could definitely put her in the the the, the top five again. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too hyperbolic after a match like this because I think it's so easy to be like, oh, like, <laughs> no one's going to stop either of them. But like, I I feel like. If Krejcikova can stay healthy, I think we'll see her win another major at some point. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if that's bold to say, but I, I feel comfortable saying that. It's the mentality thing. I mean, the, the fact she's winning so many in the doubles tour as well. You know, she yeah. she's proven it time and time again that she's she's got the mental chops down with anybody. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think at some point, like ten years into the future, or even like now, someone needs to write like a a 10,000 word feature on how she won the singles and the doubles at Roland Garros last year and even played the mixed like I like and someone needs to do a study on like how physically taxing that was and like ask her everything about it because I would like to know how she did that so uh that was incredible it's a very good point I, I, I and uh, I won't I won't name names but talking about uh title winners over the last five years with uh, this person the the Critique of it gets forgotten about in the French Open a lot of the time. I like, you know, I'll ask who who won the twenty twenty one French Open. It's like I, you can name every other slam, but not not that one basically. So yeah, Critique of it does get forgotten about quite a lot of the time by people in my circle, and it's such a shame because you know it was such a good run, and it was just it was it's such a good underdog story, equal to if not in some ways surpassing. Uh, okay, Radicanis was a proper underdog story, fine, but it was just as out of the blue in a lot of ways for me. I just, there was no way I would have picked her, and it, you know it should be it should be lauded, but it just kind of gets forgotten a bit. Yeah, well, I I think matches like today as well, ho- hopefully, hopefully stuff like that in the future. And you know, Igor Fiontek as always, like so so hard to beat, so so hard to finish off. Um, just great to have her as number one still. Um, I'm so glad she's on the tour. Um, any closing thoughts you have about this one? Uh, no, I think I pretty much said everything I had in my, my head there. One, Cool. So, yeah, the next match, the other match I wanted to talk about was uh, Djokovic Medvedev yesterday. And and this one was a bit weirder because it kind of abruptly ended after two sets. Like, there and there's a bit of a weird debate. Like, oh, like Medvedev shouldn't have done that. Like, no, he was hurt. Like, he did the right thing by retiring. Um, yeah, 
But I think like a lot of really, really fascinating things happened in those first two sets. Like I don't really think the injury affected the quality of play. Um, and so I think there's a lot to talk about here as well. Um, what were your thoughts Tons. on that one? Tons. One of the matches of the year. I've seen that yeah. in the chat. One of the matches of the year that didn't happen, right? Um, it, it was great. The, the level was so, so good. And yeah, just adding to, to that before we actually dive into the match, Medvedev said that if he continued to play, he, you know, he felt as though he could have risked missing half the year or so yeah. rather than a month. And he said if he had one, he wouldn't have played the final. Like it was that bad. So yeah, fine. You know, Medvedev's not one to 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 mess around with that sort of thing, is he? You know, he wouldn't yeah, lie I about that. This is his first words. one in like years or something. Like, yeah, he said that as well. Yeah, as yeah. So must have been a legitimate worry, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, such a good match. The first thing I was going to say was when when Medvedev did retire, the, the reaction from Djokovic. I loved that. Just he was, he was, he was properly like <laughs> he just so taken up. He wanted to play that third set yeah. so badly. Like he was so keen. <laughs> that, that was what stuck out to me too. Like I, I think he, it's not that he wasn't sympathetic because I think he was. But like if I could sort of explain his facial expression in words, it was almost like he was saying like. Oh come on! Like this was just getting good. I like, know you can't you can't do that to me exactly. Yeah, like, it was. <laughs> and that was so nice to see because my favorite Djokovic is like hungry, motivated Djokovic, like playing matches like this. Um, yeah. And so to me, that was sort of like, oh, you know, he's back, like he's still here, uh, and that was quite nice. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Yeah, definitely. It's just, a, it's, it's testament. I don't think anybody ever really doubts Djokovic's intentions in the core and he's in it for the money or anything, but in case they did, that's quite a good uh, evidence that he's, he's in it for the fight and he's in it for the glory. He just loves that sort of, the, the, the fight like Nadal does, I guess, in that sort of way. Um, yeah, just lovely to see. Yeah. Um, so like, it, it was kind of weird for me watching this match because the quality was fantastic, but I kind of felt like it had some sad undertones to it because I kept thinking back to, um, and I yeah. wrote about this, which, uh, which was you read, so I'll be repeating myself a little bit. No, 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 sorry. Um, first. But yeah, I was thinking back to the match they played in Paris at the end of last year, which was another great match, um, won by Djokovic in three from a set down. And that match like always just stuck in my head because those who won split all four majors that year, Djokovic winning three. And the play the entire time felt sort of like light and happy because it was like, it was intense, but it was almost like they were playing without pressure because they knew the guy in front of them was the only one they had to worry about for the next while. Um, and it felt like 2022 was shaping up to be huge for both of them. And that didn't end up happening. You know, Djokovic won Wimbledon, but that's really the best thing you can say about either of their years. I think they both underachieved for a variety of reasons, both within their control and not. Um 
and so like watching this match made me a bit sad because they were playing at I think the same level they did in Paris. Um, but I think that vision of the future is kind of gone. You know, like Nadal had a great year. Alcaraz is, you know, just going to eat everything at some point. Um, and so now, like, I don't really think there's a universe in which like those two are going to dominate, at least not to the extent that it seems like they would at the end of last year. Yeah, and obviously, um, Medvedev was saying as well as the second tournament this year that they're they've both played Roland yeah. Garros being the the other one, which is absolutely wild. Obviously, um, so yeah, I I would really that sentiment. It just feels like the two of them should have been on track to play each other a ton this year, and just hasn't happened. Yeah, um, like you you could watch that match and think like, oh, this is number one and number two, and then you look at the ranking, it's like no, Medvedev is four and Djokovic is seven. Like yeah, that doesn't yeah. sound right. Like that's wild. Is that? <laughs> it's um, actually wild. Yeah, but but I think aside from that, like the tennis was so good. Like I think Medvedev, I mean Medvedev in the first set was just a wall. Like he yeah. made three on four errors, and Djokovic yeah. couldn't hit through him. Like Medvedev blocked everything back, broke him twice, um, served incredibly well the whole match. Um, I mean, as as close to peak as we've seen from him in a long time. Definitely. I, I mean, I'll uh, start with the RBA match before and just for context, because yeah. his uh, demolition of RBA... 6-1-6-1 in the, the match before. I put out that stat on Twitter. I don't know if you saw it on, but just to to give that to the listeners. Medvedev hit 12 errors and I believe eight or yeah, nine of them, I suppose, if you if you discount the double fault, because it's not a ground stroke error, I should say. So so eleven ground stroke errors, eight of them were forced. So balls you wouldn't expect Medvedev to make. Three of them were unforced, and he hit three hundred and three ground strokes overall without the forced errors so you're talking a one in 100 unforced error rate so that's 99 balls and then one missed ball basically unmakeable balls which is just absolute baseline insanity it's just it's not it's not human it's it's inhuman it's nuts yeah and like he gets compared to Djokovic a lot and you know Djokovic is better at a lot of things like dictating with the forehands and you know a bunch of other stuff like in this aspect of the game, like I think Medvedev is better, right? At just like never leaking errors. Like yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if I don't know if Djokovic has ever been able to lock down like that. Yeah, his backhand's more solid than than Djokovic's. There's no yeah. doubt. There's no doubt. And it, it, honestly, it, if that makes it better, yeah, there's, there's matches where the backhand exchange has been won by Medvedev, and that's why he's won the match. So yeah. you you could argue that Djok- uh, Medvedev's backhand is better it's definitely better in some situations like on a slow hard court it's better because you, you can't if you can't hit through the other opponent with your backhand whose is the most solid it's Medvedev so it was Djokovic that was forced to come up with a different play so yeah. you know there's a lot of uh, arguments you could make for why Medvedev isn't as good as Djokovic is whatever but certainly in this matchup on this court um, 18 unforced errors from Djokovic's backhand and I don't know like what was it, two or three or something from Medvedev, something like that. He made so, 11 on four errors the whole match. And so yeah. I guess eight of those would have been in the second set. But, you know, brutal set. Like, so still very good. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was going to flesh out that um, that thought about slow hard courts and why it's just a nightmare for anybody to play Medvedev on them. Obviously, we've seen Monte Carlo previously where 
Daniel was able to win that as well. And obviously that's a clay court. You maybe would expect Djokovic as the better clay court to win that, but it's the same sort of dynamic. You know, you slow it down and Djokovic doesn't have anywhere to, to hit through Medvedev. And he, he defends it with that forehand corner really well when the, the play's slow enough. Like you look at Australia when they played in 2021 and it was a complete routing because when Djokovic is able to, to play in faster conditions, he's actually the, the favourite in a lot of ways, um, despite Medvedev's serve, because obviously Djokovic serves um, incredibly well anyway. The slice as well. It doesn't seem to work as well against Medvedev anymore. He's obviously been uh, training for that for, for ages because at the start of the year, I remember him playing Berrettini in the ATP Cup and I thought maybe Berrettini would have some sort of matchup advantage, but he, he deals with the slice so well now. He, can, he yeah. can get it back into to play really deep. He doesn't use much height over the net at all. You know, He's happy to bunt it back into play as well. So it's just, it, it was ineffective. The slice didn't work at all. So I thought maybe that could have worked, but it didn't at all. Djokovic was forced to come up with something a bit different. And the biggest thing for me, the game changer, was the drop shot. And it, it worked really well. It's the the in the last six matches they've played, it's the most drop shots per point played um, that Djokovic has played um, wow. against Medvedev. So it gives you an idea of how much he was grasping, how much he was clutching for something tactically a little different. Yeah. And you know, last year in Paris it was the serve and volley. But like you said about the consistency, like you know, as good as Djokovic is at this, and like maybe 10 years ago, he would be happy to play Medvedev's game. As he is now, like he can't do it. Like Medvedev is better at the war of attrition, um, at least in the short term. And so Djokovic needs to look for like, you know, backdoors, like cutting corner, not cutting corners, but like little tactical quirks like that, that he can use. Um, yeah. Although I, I do want to say like, and I, you know, I don't think Medvedev's injury was like really caused by fatigue, but I do think that Medvedev's wall mode thing, like, I think he needs to get a little better at dictating because as good as he was at it, like Djokovic is so relentless at bossing points. Like I think, I think people still underrate how good he is offensively. Like he will run you from corner to corner all day. And so as good as Medvedev is at neutralizing that, I don't think that's how he should want to play a three hour match or even a two hour match. You know what I mean? Like I think midway through the second set, I felt like I could see that it was finally starting to get to him a little bit. And with his game, I don't really think he has an alternative. Like, he's not going to start blasting away at forehands. Um, we, we saw that volley at five all. Like, he's not going to start, like, yeah. hitting these beautiful <laughs> volleys to finish points. Uh, which, and, you know, Djokovic is, not, Djokovic is not the best at it, but he can do that. Um, and so I feel like if Medvedev gets tired against Djokovic, he's kind of screwed. Mm-hmm. At the same time, on a hard court against RBA and against Djokovic, they're isn't much of a recipe for somebody of Medvedev's build. Well, okay, RB, let's take RB out of it. Djokovic on a hard court. How do you beat Djokovic on a hard court? I mean, without a backhand of absolute steel. It's kind of difficult to say, to be honest, because I don't think anybody yeah. has a formula against him better no, than Blast Medvedev. away at the open court, but that's too low margin. doesn't work for anyone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Zverev maybe is the only other guy that, that can sort of do the same thing as, as Medvedev but maybe a little bit more aggressively, fine, but anybody maybe. else. Um, I, I, I do want to see what Alcaraz can do, because I feel like him with the drop shot, he can probably defend as well at this point, and more offensive power. I, like, I want to see what he can do. But yeah, I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I think the Medvedev recipe is kind of as good as it gets right now. Yeah, I, I imagine if Alcaraz and Djokovic had played in the final of this tournament, Djokovic would have been the favourite for sure. On a faster hardcore, I would, probably make Alcaraz the favourite because you know when the conditions get quick and Alcaraz is able to go as offensive as he likes it just can't catch up 
Yeah, it's very much unplayable. Exactly. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting to see them play in Australia. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I think we need that match. Um, yeah. That's that's what I want to see right now. Djokovic, uh, yeah. Alcaraz, and Best of Five on a hard court. But yeah, like even even though I and I do think Medvedev should have been able to sneak this one out, even with the injury happening, because like five all, he didn't just have that volley on top of the net. He had a short backhand, short meaning like on top of the service line. If he had gone inside out, would have been a clean winner, but he hit it right at Djokovic and even then should have finished off the point with a volley, dumps it into the net. Um, not great. Um, I, I think he needs to improve his touch, but he was still the better player in the second set. Like he was cruising yeah. on serve the entire time. Yeah, I'd say so too. And that's what I mean by Djokovic having to clutch for something a little different. It he that's why I was thinking I was saying that in the, the chat. I felt like if it had gone to a third set, Medvedev would have been the favourite. Because it was Djokovic that had to come up with something a bit different, play lower risk shots, high risk shots, sorry. And to be honest, to be fair, like Djokovic can play low percentage shots and come out trumps because he's such a good player to be fair um so yeah maybe it would have been about 50 50 in some ways but yeah i, I still think Medvedev was playing the safer tennis and getting the rewards for it so it could have been his for sure yeah and and you know that said like and this is not anything new but credit to Djokovic for the pressure point play because like how how he managed to sneak out a set against this version of Medvedev is beyond me because Medvedev made 75 percent of first serves 26 winners, 11 on four servers. He won 63% of points played on his second serve, over 70% of points played on his first serve, and he only won one of two sets. How is that possible? Like, and, and I know yeah. like we're not talking about four servers, but like still I don't understand how that's possible. It's amazing. Yeah, he couldn't have played a better set, really, could he? No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, like and in the clutch, like six all in the tiebreak, um, Djokovic, who I think was sort of struggling with being a bit passive at times in the match just you know accelerates into this inside and forehand and then puts away a smash like like it was nothing um you know he yeah. did exactly what he had to do in the moment um as as he has done for so many years now <laughs> his joy was jaw dropping it's, it's so bizarre as talking about this match like it's one of the best of the season it is one of the best of the season but it was yeah. a retirement it's just it doesn't happen does it yeah and i i don't know i mean like i, I would have liked to see a third set but it's interesting because i feel like even though it was two sets, I feel like it did still feel like a whole match because it was yeah, long that's... and it was even. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's good, like, fodder for analysis anyway. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I was just glad that they both played well because I feel like after their seasons, they both kind of needed it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Djokovic's season now is just insane. It's it's getting to that time of the year again. I've got a few stats about his post-US Open in general, like the last 10 years. Um, 151 wins to 18 losses post US Open since 2012. So that's 21, <laughs> 21 titles. Uh, I mean, that's he plays about a, a quarter of his season post US Open, right? But that, that's about a third of his titles coming from that segment yeah. of the year. It's 89% win rate compared to 86% elsewhere. Um, in that time, it's just it's, it's his hunting ground, definitely. Yeah. Um, what do you expect from these guys next year? Um, yeah, Djokovic is. I mean, he's there, isn't he? If he can play tournaments, then he could easily win multiple slams. Um, you know, he'd probably be odds on to win multiple slams, right? Um, Medvedev difficult because this is the first tournament in a long time where I felt pretty confident about his form. He yeah. previous to this tournament was really, really worrying me under pressure statistically. You know, he was really, really bad on break points considering how 
um, sort of higher bar he'd set himself last year. He was one of the he was the tour leader, in fact, for break points converted and yeah, just plummeted basically. So I I felt like he was dealing with not nerves, I guess. I don't know, just a a loss of focus. Uh, you know, the double fault issues in big matches and stuff were 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 uh, plaguing him for a little while. This is the first tournament where I felt confident about him, so I'm I'm trying not to let recency bias affect me too much and put it in context because it's been a a relatively poor season for him and this might just be a you know a flash in the pan I've, I've got no idea really yeah um with Djokovic are you concerned at all about how he might fare in best of five sort of thinking back to when he came back for the play season and it took him a few tournaments to sort of like find his endurance again and I don't even know if he had it back by Roland Garros because I do think he gassed out a bit against Nadal um do you think he's sort of going to have to go through that again in 2023 or do you expect him to just come back like as he did in this match? Yeah, yeah, I think he's like the best player at just turning up to tournaments he's comfortable at and playing like he's he's never left. So if he if he rocks up to Australia and he's he's not had much um, experience or um, form, I guess, or whatever, I, I, I don't think it'll matter. Okay, got it. Yeah, I I think I'm a little less optimistic about him than than most people seem to be. Like I think. I think if he's at his best, he'll win the Australian Open. Like, he'll beat Al- Alcaraz in, like, five or a close four or something. But I feel like if he's anything less than that, he'll get beaten by by Alcaraz or Medvedev or someone. Um, so I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, I, I've been impressed with him the past few weeks, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not completely sure how much these matches matter right now. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I don't know if I've got many other thoughts about... Uh, Djokovic, there's not much point talking about that final because it would be a bit of a damp squib considering the match we've just talked about, right? Yeah, so. I, we can we can review it briefly. I, I guess, like, I yeah, I, I think my issue with it was just that, like, we didn't learn anything new about either player. Like, yeah, it, exactly. It was basically exactly how you would guess it was going to happen. Like, Djokovic will probably win in straights, probably not get broken, probably not face a break point. Um, and, and look, like credit to TC Foss for for making the final. I think the match against Rublev was very good. Um, yeah. I think winning that from a set down was not easy, but yeah, I think certain certain hard courts, most hard courts against Djokovic, TC Foss just doesn't have enough to hurt him with. He won seven points on the return in two sets. Um, Jesus, I I can't defend that. That's mad. Yeah, guess is a as Djokovic got his third six three six four final win over Sitsipas, Pass. By the way. Madrid and Dubai, other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Yeah. Thanks. So, <laughs> just I don't know if he didn't. I imagine he didn't get broken in those two matches as well. But it's just quite typical. Basically, yeah, exactly what we expected. Yeah, and and it's sort of like what you were talking about with like what is the game plan on hard court? Like with TC Foss, you know, analysts are going to be like, oh, he needs to be aggressive, and it's like, yeah, but what happens when he starts missing? Because it's going to happen because no one can because it's going to happen to anyone. Um, yeah. Like there's no plan B because there's nothing to attack. Yeah, there's literally nothing he can do at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, in this in this form, it's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty sad for him. It's really it's just not a good matchup. And um, you know, he, he should have done better in the Rome final. To be honest, like he he's, he's yeah. quite a good he's a good matchup for Djokovic on clay, but on hard courts, yeah, yeah. And it, and it's interesting because I think peak Djokovic on a hard court. It, it's sort of tough to play in a different way that like Nadal is on clay because like Nadal has the bigger weapons, and so like he's he's going to destroy you more offensively when he's at his best. Yeah. But like, even, even against Nadal on clay, you kind of know what you have to do. Like, and it's impossible in certain situations. Like you can't, 
hit backhands on the rise and hit them flat and deep into all corners of the court. It's just not going to work. But like, you know that if you do that, like good things will happen. And against Djokovic on a hard court, it's like, there's literally nowhere to go. Like maybe you hit like one improbable running forehand winner down the line, but like you're going to miss that nine times out of 10. He's going to hit deeper than you. Pace doesn't bother him. Like he can take the ball early on either side. Like in, in some ways, I think it's tougher. Um, even though Nadal has like yeah. more, more trophies on clay. You're more likely to get a double bageled by Nadal on a clay court yeah. uh, than, than Djokovic on a hard court because he just kind of rolls. I mean, he doesn't need to do anything apart from serve how he normally serves. He'll return properly for like two service games and that's you. It's just, it's, it, that's what happened to Tsitsipas in like all three yeah. of those finals. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that explains the, the, disparity between like Nadal's dominance on clay and Djokovic's on hardcore is that like Nadal is better at hitting his peak like I think he can do it more easily like I think with Djokovic it happens less often but when it does happen it's just like I mean every time I think it gets people to say like this is the highest level in tennis history like like the two sets he played against Federer at the 2016 Australian Open or like the final against Nadal in Doha that year um or like the 2019 Australian Open final like people watch that and I think like the goat takes always just start flying because they see that and it's just like you can't play tennis better than that and of course the flip side is like I don't think Djokovic has a whole lot of control over when that happens like it doesn't happen very often but when it does like anyone is screwed yeah you're quite right yeah yeah I don't know if I've got any more uh, words to say about Djokovic in this tournament it's just another uh, classic end of year tournament for for Djokovic yeah um yeah I agree um I think that's all I have as well. Like I, I mainly just wanted to talk about the the Ostrava final and uh, yep. and this uh, Medvedev Djokovic match. So um, so yeah, like I'm I'm glad we're getting good tennis at the end of the year because I feel like the way the calendar is structured, like we're really lucky when that happens because these players are tired. They deserve their rest. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is uh, and I'd I'd been a little burned out after the U.S. Open, so uh, this helps. It's getting busy as well. Like there's some really big tournaments coming up. So ideally, obviously, we've got a lovely um, set of uh, tournaments in the interim. They've been uh, really, really entertaining. But there is some really good stuff coming up. So it would be a real shame if we didn't get some big matches in there. I mean, we've got Guadalajara, I think, in literally two weeks uh, on the WTA side. Paris Masters coming up, ATP Finals, WTA Finals, Billie Jean King Cup, Davis Cup. Yeah, it's quite a lot to look forward to. Yeah, here's hoping we get some more like marquee matchups in these because i feel like that that's the best part of this this part of the year is like when two big players like show up against each other um and then you get great mm-hmm. matches like the ones we've talked about yeah atp finals I'm, I'm looking forward to so much it's just a shame obviously we're not going to get a, a Djokovic team match but uh, you know yeah. I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure there'll be uh, i'm sure there'll be some other great matchups there yeah we, we should cut this off now because i can <laughs> talk about how i'm sad about dominic's team for the next 20 minutes um <laughs> yeah, I, I i have hope for him and in 2023 um but yeah uh jack thanks for joining me this was this was fun um illuminating no as always on. with the stats you always bring something up that i didn't know yeah no worries on thanks so much for having me Acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.